Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden, Derek Weston, and Sam Chang. Welcome to the new season of the Food and Faith Podcast. This is your co-host, Derek Weston. Today, we have with us Victoria Lors. Um, she's an author, a wild church pastor, and an eco-spiritual director. As co-founder of Seminary in the Wild and the Wild Church Network, she supports those who have felt a call from earth and spirit to restore the false divide between nature and spirituality. Victoria feels most alive when collaborating with mystery and kindred spirits to create opportunities for people to remember themselves back into intimate, sacred relationship with the rest of the living world. Victoria lives in Bellingham, Washington with a family of wild black-tailed deer who have become intimate friends. Her young adult children, Alec and Olivia, are wise, creative, tender souls dedicated to creating a more inclusive, compassionate, and just world. Her book, Church of the Wild, How Nature Invites Us Into the Sacred, launches October 5th. Also, just like to remind you that the work of the Food and Faith podcast is expanding, and if you would like to support that expansion, you can do so at patreon.com. Just go to patreon.com slash food and faith podcast, and you can support us at any level. All right, let's go to our interview with Victoria. All right, we are here with Victoria Lors. Victoria, thank you so much for being with us again. Oh, I'm so excited. Good to see you. Um, so... So we've had you on the show before, and we've asked you the question of what is your geography? We've asked about the ways that land has shaped you. Um, what we want to ask you today, since we've asked you that before, is what new reflections do you have on your geography in the last two years? This has been a pretty eventful couple of years. Um, either the geography that shaped you or the geography that you're in now, um, what new reflections have the past couple of years given you on your geography? Mm, I love that question. I would I would answer with my geography now. I live in the most beautiful place I've ever visited, and I feel grateful about that. And, as, and especially during the pandemic, I was writing this book, so I had an excuse not to travel, an excuse to be home. And um, there's enough beautiful places walking right out my door that I felt very grateful and privileged. And... Um, I need to move in a few months because I'm renting and my landlord wants her house back and the housing market has gone so insane that I can't afford to live here anymore. So it's like learning to live in uh, daily appreciation with and and holding that grief as well. And mm. I had thought about doing um, as my next step, you know, doing a year long van life kind of tour. Uh, I've since let that go. But one of the questions that I'm still holding is, what does it mean to belong to place when you've moved literally 47 times? Wow. So, so it's like this deep longing to belong to one place and also an acceptance that um, humans, many humans didn't live in, in cultures where they stay in one place, that there's a, there's a migration that affects humans too that we've sort of disconnected from. And so I'm really curious about that question. I don't have much insight about it other than the curiosity right now. Yeah. I mean, that's a fascinating things to kind of reflect on in in the work that you do with with Church of the Wild and that 
a lot of the wilding of humanity in the past has been a migratory wilding. It's been moving from place to place. It's been exploring new environments because of, um, maybe not because of, of you know, uh, real estate prices, but because <laughs> of weather or because of- Because of climate. Food, because of climate, because yeah. of where food was available. And I just think, right. wow, that's, I mean, the reflection that will come from you having that kind of migratory experience, I imagine will enrich your work quite a bit. Well, and it's, it's kind of, it relates to the idea that, oh, I can't connect with the wild because the wild is in, you know, the middle of Montana or the Rocky Mountains, and I live in an urban city. And we've, we're so disconnected from the natural world you know, nature as something out there that we've forgotten that we are part of nature and that nature is with us all the time. So you can step outside in the clouds and the crows and the, the little dandelion growing between the cracks is our, is a connection with nature as well as the concrete itself and the reality that of the impact humans have made is part of this system. Often humans play the role of the destructive you know, a destructive role. Um, so it's even holding that, like, what is the role of humans in, in, um, they definitely play this destructive role. That's pretty obvious right now. We also, um, play another role of, of restoration. You know, the word religion means reconnection, legios, like a ligament. And so obviously humans need religion. We need reminders of reconnection because we just tend to separate, um, from one another, from, from, between um, races, between species, between families, is just part of the human story that's tragic. And so I feel like this time is about that um, remembering, <clears throat> remembering ourselves back into the, the larger story, which is kind of at the core of the Church of the Wild experience. One of the things that's so striking to me about Church of the Wild is that I feel like it defies it defies the stereotypes in that like just like you're saying that it's it's not necessarily about a particular wild and it's redefining what we can think of as wild. And so um I know we we talked about this some a few years ago, but I think that it's it's worth asking describe some of the places that Church of the Wild is showing up and describe some, maybe some of the geographies of wh- where where is this? Where is this wild that you can be church in? Um, well, I think in a couple of ways, like in my book, Church of the Wild, there's an addendum at the back that says you can do this um, churching, <laughs> this connecting with the natural world as a spiritual practice in a community, in community, as sort of like collective um, experience of worship. But the book is really written for anyone to experience. You know, a lot of people say, nature is my church. <laughs> and so it's really taking that seriously and going, okay, what does that mean? How do you, how do you develop spiritual practices to reconnect yourself and to remember yourself back into the larger story, into the ecosystem um, as, a, as an alivening participant? So... So the movement is bigger than the the churches that you might find listed on Wild Church Network website, but the the, the collective churches that are many of which are um, led by pastors from multiple denominations in North America, well, mostly Canada and and 
the United States are often led by Christian pastors who start a separate little community. It's uh, very few of them have tried to sort of get their their uh, existing indoor church community to start to expand to include the other species as as co congregants co preachers. Um, it's easier often for them to 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 meet out in nature with a different community or with other people that are drawn to that. But it's all over the place. I mean, it, uh, there's many churches in Canada where their winters are seven, eight months long, and it's below freezing for most of that time, and they meet outdoors every week. They're down, like Gary Nabhan, who you've had on this program, I know, um, they meet all summer, even though it's over 100 degrees. So, and part of that is our disconnection from the natural world includes our disconnection, our, our sort of like addiction to comfort, <laughs> that we don't want to be outside if it's raining, we don't want to be outside if it's too hot or too cold, and, and we've we've created a civilization where we can be disconnected and we can control our in, inner climate and we're trying and we uh, think we can control the exterior climate, but the earth has a different idea about that. But I think just even, so no matter where you are, there are, there are wild churches starting up all over the country um, and they have very different Oh, what would I call it? They have very different um, orientations or different practices. So some of them are very much like what you would experience in inside of a traditional church, but outside with expanded liturgies to include the clouds and the grasshoppers. <laughs> um, and some of them are very different. They're um, much more connecting with their ancestral roots, which every every one of us, if you go back enough generations, you'll see that your ancestors were also, their religions were very deeply connected with the earth, no matter where you have emigrated from or, you know, come from, no matter where your ancestors were. Some some peoples, like the indigenous peoples in, in North America, they haven't yet <laughs> really disconnected. They've, they've been able to maintain that, even though the colonizers tried so hard and continue to try um, to disconnect people from the land in their religious practices but um but for all of us we come from um from a community that is larger than our own species and so that's what i think the i'm not sure what the question was at this point but i think that's where the that's where we're that's part of the the heart of this movement is to reconnect with who we are as humans in the midst of an interconnected web of being so your your book, Church of the Wild, How Nature Invites Us into the Sacred, my guess, I'm guessing that there is some reflection that has come from doing the Church of the Wild work and some reflection that maybe even predates and maybe some things that have, have been in 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 your heart and mind um, over the years as you've you've begun to think about this and 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 play with it. Um, I'm interested in in sort of the origins of the book um, and and what what made you decide to take sort of these experiences and put them sort of into this one this one place where it could be used as a resource for anyone. When I 
first got out of seminary, this kind of, I'm just going to tell this in a narrative. When I first got out of seminary, my first work was with a Christian relief and development organization. And I was, um, I was responsible for doing research about different global issues and, and what, um, positions this organization should take. And so the whole time I was pregnant with my son, I worked on, um, on a kit that was sent to 50,000 evangelical churches called Let the Earth Be Glad. And so that was my first introduction to there's something more here. There's something more um, to, there's something that we're missing by being disconnected from the natural world in our, in our religion. And then skip forward, and I might have talked about this in our last interview, but I, um, uh, I ended up becoming a pastor and, um, and then leaving the pastorate for various reasons for seven years. And in that time, I started a youth climate nonprofit with my son. And, um, and, what, and we did that for several years and we sued the government and we organized youth marches sort of before the youth. I think we were at the beginning of that whole youth upsurge. And, but, but in both of those experiences, in both of those roles, I experienced burnout in, as a pastor, um, you know, (laughs) that it's sort of built in, there's like burnout is sort of built in. And uh, the same thing in the, in the, the environmental, the climate movement, like it's, it's sort of built in because you're working so hard to create change that you can't see in one lifetime. And so you have to define your quote success by, by measures that, that don't really matter. Like how many people come to church or how many people sign up for your Facebook, you know, event. And you, but you sort of know deep down that that's not really what it's about, and and so I hit burnout in both of those roles, and it, at the core of that, I had to wrestle with what is missing here. What there's something missing here, and I and I don't know what it is, and in that search during that seven years, really, um, or actually after 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 that, um, I had an experience. <laughs> which basically reconnected my own soul's journey with the journey of the rest of the world. (laughs) And I was able to connect with, um, you know, members of the, of, uh, outside of my species (laughs) in a way that was, that felt sacred. And so I didn't have language for it within my, either my religious background or my environmental movement background. And as I deepened into it, I recognized that what was missing was a deep, intimate relationship with these others outside of my, outside of, you know, my comfortable community, that the beloved community has a much larger definition. And, um, and so then I started paying attention to these little experiences that I, I used to think, oh, that was, you know, an interesting, I got to see a deer, they were pretty, it was, it was a beautiful sunrise, you know. And so I didn't not notice, but I didn't, what I started to pay attention to is, there's a presence of the sacred here that I didn't have words for. And so I started to investigate that as a pastor and looked into 
you know, looked back at these scriptures that I'd sort of walked away from for seven years. And I had a different lens all of a sudden. And I could see in these stories, both testaments, uh, you know, both the Old and the New Testament of our, of the Christian, Judeo-Christian scriptures, every single one of the people were in in these stories were sent into wilderness by the sacred and why you know i i tended to as a pastor um spiritualize that so we tend to metaphorize them like during the pandemic is we've heard a lot this is a time of wilderness you know and and it does work as a metaphor but then i started questioning but what about the actual soil? What about the actual leaves of the actual trees that fell from the actual forest? You know, what what about the the cougars that that devour the baby fawns? You know, what about that? And what what did that have to do with um, with this call into wilderness? And as as and that was it. That was the missing link for me. Um, I probably went into my. Uh, my aha about the word conversation around the run logos before, because that's so core for me and it is in the center of the book, but it's, it's at the center of all things. The, the quantum physicists are, um, are articulating that, that at the center of all things, science affirms is not a noun, but is a verb is a relationship. It's a relationship of a uh, convert that can be called a conversation. And so this idea of conversation and, uh, the old Testament word for wilderness, uh, the, um, the, the Hebrew word for wilderness is Bamidbar, which is a derivative of Dabar, which is the word for speaking. Yeah. And so Bamidbar means the organ, which speaks. And mm. so that kind of like just reframed it all for me that, that, that God was sending the people of Israel into the wilderness, not to punish them or to, uh, you know, have them learn some new crafts or anything. <laughs> um, he was sending them into, God was sending them into the, the wilderness to speak to them. And he speaks in the language of leaves and rivers. And, and we tend to only kind of think of it in terms of, um, you know, some voice coming from heaven when I think a lot of it was, you know, an actual bush that was burning, um, an actual wind that was going by. And so, and so that kind of, that shifted it for me. And so I started to see every little experience as an opportunity to connect with, um, my own soul, the soul of the other that I'm speaking to, and that the sacred is is present in that. And so, and so, this understanding of logos as this term that means conversation, that the pre, that the conversation between me and a and a lonely goose, for example, one of the stories in my book, um, is a sacred experience, and that that conversation itself is the presence of Christ. Mm. And it really did shift. Uh, kind of not just so it's so Church of the Wild was not for me like oh this is a cool thing for people that like to be outdoors this is a great a great thing for you know for us to appreciate our our landscape although it does that <laughs> and it, it does draw people who already deeply connect with with nature but it's something much more um, foundational and and part of in something within our own uh, religious tradition that I think needs to be 
reformed and remembered back to, you know, this is why I love Gary's stories that that brings alive the reality that these fishermen knew about their knew about the places to fish and things like that. And it, it just changes like what we think were the miracles actually weren't the miracles if you actually if you were connected with the land. And so it really shifts how I how I've seen our scriptures, it shifts how I practice um, collective collective worship. It's shifted how I experience most most of all. It, sh- it has shifted the way I experience the presence of God, and it's something I, I remember um, when I was a new Christian, you know, forty years ago, and. I, w- I heard somebody say, you know, well, God, that that's pantheism if you are, you know, seeing seeing mm. God in a tree, or that's animism or something like that, as if it was a bad thing. I remember looking it up and going, wait, it means God is in all things. Why is that? Why is that bad again? <laughs> I guess I just won't talk about it. Um, but but really, it brings it alive. Like God, like Christ, really is in all things. That's what our own scriptures say that and if that's true how do we act as if that's true how do we how do we treat with reverence this tree outside of my window or this the clouds going by how do we take i was talking to somebody yesterday who's um deeply into gratitude and gratitude circles and he after reading my book said he stopped when he was walking somewhere you know, not quickly, but he was walking somewhere and he saw a, a praying mantis crossing the sidewalk and he stopped and he just allowed himself to slow down, watch this little <laughs> insect cross the sidewalk, saw a little tiny, you know, worm cross with it, a little slower. And he and the whole experience opened up something with inside himself emotionally and helped him to see the presence of the sacred, even in the in the presence of these tiny creatures. So all of these experiences were just kept adding up until it became like, this is a story of not just eco-theology or the reality that, you know, there is a, as the feminist theologians say, what's becoming is a kingdom of God, uh, taking the G out of there. Um, Mine is more of a story of what that looks like. What is that process of opening up and... um, and beginning to live as if the sacred were present in all things. I'm going to encourage our our listeners, if they haven't heard the previous conversation with you, to go back and listen to it. That that piece about Logos in particular is an incredibly powerful moment um, in, in interpreting the, uh, translating the word Logos as conversation instead of simply word. Um, so... I encourage everyone to to go back and listen to that. But it it strikes me as you're talking about the wilderness as as an organ that speaks as as a place of conversation that in a country and in a civilization that is doing so much to block ourselves and disconnect ourselves from the natural world 
what we're actually doing is shutting down a conversation. Mm -hmm. It's like being in a relationship and turning your back on your partner and saying, I don't want to talk to you right now, or, or I, I, I'm, I'm refusing to talk to you and, and breaking off relationship in that way. And that's, that's incredibly powerful to think about what we've, what we've actually done to our relationship with God is to say that we're not going to go to that place where God is speaking because we don't, we don't want to hear what God has to say. That's incredibly powerful. Mm, wow. That's a great way to phrase it and to frame it. And just to see the sort of like the fractal reality of that, that we're in our culture is getting so fragmented and so impossible to talk to each other. These, you know, and it's that lack of, um, and, and sort of what's the difference between just talking to someone and an co- actual conversation? Right. Like there's, there's a reverence involved in a, in a real conversation where you have, there has to be an I thou that if you're going to diminish the other, you can't enter into conversation. Right. And so we've cut off that conversation between, you know, <laughs> cultures, between races, between, you know, churches and unchurches. I mean, we've done it so many times we're so disconnected and lonely there's a you know there's a loneliness pandemic that's been been recognized as well and it's not it's just it's not disconnected from this it's it's all part of this and and i really i mean i i know uh our religion christianity has been more than complicit with the agenda of empire um but a colonizer and an empire builder absolutely has to disconnect people from one another, from the land, and from their own souls in order to occupy. It's, it's just how it works. And so this is a long-term agenda. This is not going to unravel, you know, quickly, but it is unraveling. And that's what gives me hope is that as the unraveling ecologically, politically, uh, socially is is in fast motion right now. Um, and we can see it in technicolor through the pandemic and through this this moment in time is so, um, like we've had to slow down enough to, though where you can't turn away from it. Um, but at the same time, that unraveling, just like a birth of a baby, you know, the baby is <laughs> crowns and begins the new life of breathing oxygen at the same exact moment that that the that the womb life ends and so while while this dismantling and this unraveling and this destruction is happening happening there is something new being knit together and uh like i love how bio okumulafe talks about how that's happening in the cracks it's happening in that darkness it's happening in that place that those quiet um places and it's just a matter of like let's let's keep weaving this together this new way of being alive because the time will come when the collapse happens and we'll be and we have been investing in what is what will remain and i think that when we think about reconnecting and you were talking earlier about the origins of the word religion to need to be reconnected means that there was first a division mm-hmm. and that the division is not part of god's design Right, that the, the connection is how creation was made and how how it exists. I mean, if anything shows us the interconnection, it's looking at the natural world and seeing how how it actually is connected. Mm-hmm. And so how is the process of reconnection also is an acknowledgement of how 
we have chosen disconnect or disconnect has been the culture we've been formed in or it's been created by these forces and that feels like a powerful part too because I feel like there's a lot of lament of we're so divided we're so disconnected mm-hmm. um but to ask that question of why and I think in that what I'm hearing and what you're sharing is that in the why we can actually find this bigger truth which is when actually we are actually all connected what are we right. what are that's we doing the, that's the core that? truth yeah right yeah and you know and i love how so much more science is coming out how trees are connect to the forest and this deep interconnection not just physically you know that we need to breathe in the oxygen from the trees and they need to breathe in the carbon dioxide from us um so it's and, and it's like actual pieces of our of our being are released when we breathe so that that continual sacrifice self-sacrifice to the other is like built into life and and almost like i mean it's kind of why I, how i've come to understand even the the story of the fall it's not so much like like it's just it's built in like this pascal mystery of death you know life death grief new life is built into everything it's not just a christian concept it's just the way life is and you know to have some of the earliest stories be people trying to understand why this disconnect has happened and to explore with different mythologies i think most religions have a mythology of how this disconnect happened and continues to happen it kind of gives you some um I don't know what the right word would be, not quite peace or, um, but it is, but it's, it's just built in like the idea of predation, you know, it's like for, for any one being to continue to exist, another being has life has to be sacrificed, whether it's a rabbit or a carrot. And it's just built into life. And it's something that I didn't really think about much um, until I started connecting more deeply with nature to see that this composting, that this this way of um, of sacrifice of life for the next generation, like it's sort of a no duh, but it's also just like that's deeply sacred, and and it shifts the fall from this horrible thing that these horrible humans have done to a horrible thing horrible humans have done that is part of. A bigger story that's hard to wrap your head around and that there's some that gives me some hope at the midst in the midst of um such cultural cruelness that that we're that's being unveiled and just seen and it's see and you can see it throughout all of history i hate it i wish it weren't true and and it is I don't know. There's something about just accepting what is that doesn't mean it's okay, but gives you it. You you approach it from a place of love rather than oh my god, we got to do everything. I got to recycle every single thing because we're going to save the world. Like there's that that anxiety is when you when you sort of accept. All right, here we are. Here we are in this place of destruction, and and I'm in love, and I'm not going to abandon who I love. And when you when you love a particular other, just when you love your new little baby, Anna, like that, that's that's moving from I love babies to I am in love with this particular human. And that is a portal into loving the whole. It's just how we're made. 
And, and so as that's what I think is at the core of this is how do we, like Robin Wall Kimmerer talks about, you know, it's one thing to say, I love the world. I love my garden. I love my daughter. It's another thing to understand that they love us back. And that is the sacred bond. That's it. That's that, you know, conversations kind of a, a tame way of saying it, but it's de- it's falling in love and, 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 and living in reverence with all the others. How we treat anything is how we treat everything. And so that's what it's really, that's what it's really founded in. <laughs> you know, I once heard um, a writer speak about the idea of the power of the particularity is that it invites more people into the whole story. And I've just always thought about that, 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 you know, we kind of think like, oh, we just need to kind of be mushy and big, this kind of like big, vague story. But it's actually when we tell the specific piece of here's how I felt and this is how it tasted and and this is what it looked like, that while it might, might not be our story, it we can connect to it in a different way. And I think that's such a beautiful reminder that that is not just a literary device, right? That's actually maybe a part of the design of um, engaging in that way. And it makes me think coming back to, you're thinking about Church of the Wild, that um, in my experience of you, you leading a, you know, a Church of the Wild liturgy is that it was grounded in a particular place. So we were in North Carolina and you were coming from, you know, the Northwest Washington and, the place was new. And I was so struck that you had done research and knew about the particularities of that place, because for us to worship and be engaging that liturgy and you were drawing us to the particularities of that place. And that while the movements of the liturgy were all very familiar, you know, we, we can, can sink into that movement that, it was something about what birds are here, what plant is here that revealed God in the particularities of that particular piece of creation. And that's different. It's a paying attention. Like we don't have to do that. Maybe we often don't do it, but what happens when we do? Yeah. And I, and I, I remember too, that, that particular place, it matters who's right here with us present and it also matters who was here and so it's honoring you know not just the ancestor your own ancestors but the ancestors of this land and so it's you know it's a lot of the land acknowledgments with the with the um you know indigenous peoples that had been in living in that sort of sacred reciprocity relationship with the land for generations honoring that remembering that naming it um, what was interesting is as I kept exploring, um, I kept researching about that particular place and that town had sort of, a, um, you know, so sort of pages and pages of, we didn't have any plantations here. We were not, we, we weren't really part of the slavery issue, you know, and that was a tap dance. It was the people of color that lived there were held as slaves. They didn't have big plantations, but they were buried in unmarked graves, like they were hiding it. And so like talking about that and allowing that 
to be part of the land's story. They've held that blood, and and they have a that land has a story to tell of the people and the uh, you know not only the the um, nature that has been abused because of our disconnection, but the people that have been abused. And so, and so part of that uh, we're being invited into is to, to tell those stories and to grieve and to hold that um, grief, not only for the, the species that have, that have disappeared because of our disconnection, also the peoples that have been abused because of that disconnection. And so it, it is part of the anti-oppression work to, to acknowledge and to do that research, to, do, to, to be aware of how people are continued to be treated, of you know, what's going on right now and what has gone on, and what do we want to create together um, for our great-grandchildren? That's beautiful. That's uh, love for you to read the prologue of the book. Once upon a time, all humans knew that their lives, their food, their survival, their sense of meaning and kinship with God or the gods was connected with all their relations, the hawks, the soil, the ferns, the mosquitoes. Like all the other wild creatures, they belonged to the land and they knew it. They were untamed and self-willed and listened to their own intrinsic authority. They were part of a grand conversation, a relationship of reciprocity and respect, connecting them with all the other beings and elements of life. But there came a time when some of the people could no longer hear the conversation. An elixir fell over the poppy fields, like Dorothy entering Oz, causing them to fall asleep. The wax in their ears became hardened, and their hearts pretended that they were happier controlling the world than loving it. They rushed right past the burning bushes on the way to importance, missing the message of the doe hiding in plain sight with her newborn fawn. They packed the bodies of sacred forest cathedrals onto trucks and shipped them to mills. They forgot that the thrush songs spelled out warnings and wisdom in octaves. Disconnected little by little, their voices went missing in the symphony of aliveness. The songs of the wild god cascading through the trees no longer guided their lives. And a deep loneliness sunk down upon the people like a heavy fog nobody could see. The time has come to lift the veil of that fog and to return to intimate relationship with the living world. More and more of us are taking our place once again as full participants in the web of life, which we remember is held together by love. There are no magic words to encant, no spiritual laws to memorize, no ruby-slippered heels to click three times. You don't need to read a hundred new eco-theology books or leave the church or go to Seminary of the Wild or become an animist or a pantheist, but you can if you want to. You simply need to learn how to listen and allow your heart to be broken, just like you do every time you fall in love. Because the holy is in your place too. You open the gates to this enchanted land, your home, with hands muddied from the soil outside your house and a raw, scabby, and unprotected heart. You enter naked and brave. That is beautiful. And I, I think it, it, again, it just speaks so much to, you know, the language of conversation, the, long, the language of relationship, the language of, 
of us making conscious choice, intentional choice about being in that relationship. Um, it's That's incredibly powerful. And I can't wait to read the rest of the book. I'm super excited. Can we, let's shift a little bit and talk about Seminary of the Wild, which you actually mentioned in your prologue. Can you tell, give us a little bit of background? What is, what is Seminary of the Wild? Seminary of the Wild is um, the result of experiencing this deep connection with the sacred through connection with the living world that I experienced when I went on a five-day program with Animus Valley Institute, which is Bill Plotkin. He's a developmental psychologist who's kind of uh, created a model of human development that's that follows our changing relationship with the natural world, mm. basically. Um, and I went on this five-day program that was that was kind of talking about our shadow, you know, your shadow sides and and um, embracing the shadow side of you. But all of the in exercises, all the all the program pieces were out in uh, Southwest Colorado and um, on Pueblo land out in the desert. And I saw. As a pastor who had pursued, you know, transformational experiences in all of my pastoral work for 20 years, like I was the one who did interactive labyrinths and Taze services and centering prayer and um, longing to connect people with the direct experience of God. I was tired of talking about God. I wanted people to be in relationship with God. But it was always a little bit frustrating. Like they were cool things that I do and they'd be like, that was great. But it didn't really result in in the kind of change and uh, that I was, that transformation's about. In this five-day program, I saw more transformation in the people there, including myself, than I had ever seen in the church. Mm. And it was explicitly not spiritual, although it totally was. Um, <laughs> and after that, I was I talked to Bill Pluck and I said, what, <laughs> what other Christian leaders have gone through this? Because I need to meet with them because this is the thing that I've been looking for. And so he connected me with some people and we started talking um, about, you know, what we were missing when we went to seminary and what what you had been experiencing in this reconnection with, with the living world. And, um, and so as we talked about it for years, probably, so we had some experiments, we bring pastors out and, and do some, th some three day programs. And finally we, in 2019 launched with a year long eco ministry certificate program that takes, um, people through uh, four major modules. The first one is called Wild Earth, and it's really kind of what I talk about, which is um, re-enchanting re our relationship with, with the rest of the world. And so it's, uh, we, we say, we call these Wild Earth and then it's wild self, you know, so that that's sort of the inner work of, of all the parts of yourself that you've kind of been disconnected from. Um, and then there's wild Christ. And so in this sort of more connected with yourself, connected with the rest of the world, um, connected at a, at a collective level as, as well, like what's, what's, what's severed us from one another and how can we reconnect? Then, then with those tools, what is, how does that change your uh, spiritual life? You know, what, what is it you've just sort of inherited and do because you should versus what, what the act of Christ is calling you into relationship 
and how, what does that look like? And the last part is wild call, which is now what? You know, at this threshold, at this moment in history, what are you uniquely uh, called to bring into the world that relates to where you are, your land, your particular influence, and um, this particular moment in time? And so it's really a, we call it seminary, like at the core of that word, the etymology of that word, it's like a wild seedbed. So it's kind of a wild, it's a container for people to do, you know, and, and people who have sensed that calling from spirit and from earth herself to that, to this moment, you know, it's a, it's a support. It's a collective support for them stepping into identifying and stepping into uh, what they're being called to. Um, so it's not a certificate to become a particular thing a pastor or something it's a it's 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 a support system to create something new because what what's being called into being right now for all of us doesn't have templates it's something new and so we need support in that and it's i call us the edge walkers (laughs) we're walking (laughs) we're not just walking along an edge but we are so we need we need to be connected but i I see those edge walkers as the ones who are defining the edge. So the more that those who are feeling that call into this new story, the more we can expand who we are and how we express what we've been called by the sacred, by earth, by our deep soul calling. Um, The more we can step into that and live that and embody that, the more we're actually expanding the whole collective in ways that we might not be able to write a uh, foundation, um, you know, funding request for, but it's real. It's really, it really is. We are that interconnected that our own expansion expands the whole. So that's, that's the, uh, we we're on our, we're filling our fourth, um, our fourth cohort for that, that begins October 19th. Um, and we're calling this one the rewilding of the pastor's soul. Mm. And it's and maybe it's 20, 30% of people who have the role of pastor in a church, but it's people who, who sense that they're called or living in a role of a spiritual leader. And what is, how do we rewild our own souls as we're, as we're doing this work of, of rewilding our culture and our places um, and our, and our, our own souls, like I just said. (laughs) There's so much that I love about that. It's really challenging the model of theological education that prepares people to essentially go into a building right? Um, <laughs> and, and, and to attract Literally. other, and, and attract other people into a building yeah. um, and, and into, and into structures and into, and into straight lines and into boxes. And you're really in some ways inviting people to be freed of those boxes to find who they really are, who they really are in nature and who they really are with God. Yes. That's a, it's a beautifully liberating model of, of theological education. And, and I mean, all of us are called into this, into like, I can take these pieces, but I don't really fit in here. I don't fit in there. And instead of just feeling isolated and like, oh, I'm the strange one out. It's like, it's finding kindred souls who are also called into their sort of, you know, which feels even heretical when I first started doing wild church was like, 
you know, I got called a tree hugging dirt worshiper once. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> um, there, but, there are worse things to be called. Yeah. <laughs> I later got a, a bumper sticker was that I was like, I'm owning this one. But, um, but, but really it's, it's, it's something new and we need support in that, like to, to, to step in with courage and, and bravery into these roles where we're making it up as we go, you know, you need, you need support in that. And the support might not come from people that are in your own church, in your own neighborhood, in your own tradition. So here's where, you know, Zoom <laughs> and technology really facilitates that you know, we're able to connect with others all across the world, really, who who are also feeling this call. It's almost like that close encounters feeling where mm. people are feeling called. They're not really sure exactly what it is, but you can recognize it. It resonates with you when someone starts to describe what they're going through and their story. And so um, while these aren't all pastors, it's it is it is understanding that the role of pastor is widening, that the, that the idea of church is widening, that um, there's something about, um, you know, being in a building that, and, and a building that generally doesn't have windows. <laughs> and if there are, we'll cover it with like stained glass. Right. Um, that, that says in an indirect way, what's holy is in here and therefore what's out there isn't holy. And so there's something in that that's, you know, I don't think everyone needs to, necessarily go worship outside but there's but being aware of the of the limitations that a building puts on us like individually and collectively that says i'm i'm safe i'm protected that's not even true you're not that's another gift i think of the pandemic is that we are so interconnected our false idea of self-protection is isn't real like we are very vulnerable we're just as vulnerable as the as all the other creatures. <laughs> Especially in a time when being in the buildings was one of the least safe places to be. Isn't that interesting? Isn't yeah. that fascinating? Yeah. And, it's, and you know, like national parks are, are filled to capacity now. The, the trails are, you know, so people are being called into the wilderness, whether they recognize right. it's coming from God or not. <laughs> God in the form of a little uh, organism. It's, it's true. God was, God was calling all of us outside. And, yeah. um, you know, whether or not we were willing to listen to that. Um, I don't know how much clearer the call could get. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we bring this to a close, we always ask what, what brings you hope? Um, what brings you sort of the hope that doesn't ignore the complications and, mm. and situations that are around us, but, but gives you the resilience to get up in the morning and face them? The fact that you asked that question that way, that gives me hope. Hmm. You know, hope is is something that is not denial and it's not um, pretending. It's fully open, like if open to the grief, open to um, failure, open to being wrong. Being chastised even by someone that you've hurt, and being willing to to be to be dumb, <laughs> you know, to be the one that says the dumb thing, um, like that. People like you give me hope. People like the people that I get to talk to every week who hear this call and they aren't really sure what that means, but they're willing to put their life on the line and follow this 
follow this call. I hear this this raven outside, this crow outside, <laughs> saying yes, yes. Um, and and they actually, the <laughs> yeah, they actually give me hope. Like when I was so freaked out when the political, you know, when like last a year ago, um, when uh, after George Floyd's murder, when we're in the middle of like what is going to happen with this pandemic, what is really going on, you know, being. Um, uh, so many white people being awakened to what's really still been happening all along. Um, the, the threats of violence with this, this division, like, oh my gosh, co- climate change. It was, I could hardly breathe, which was an interesting um, refrain in our whole collective. Um, I would spend time in the woods and, the, and I know that the trees know what's going on. I know that the birds know that what's going on, but they're living their lives, you know? And it's like, how do we continue to live our lives um, in gratitude and in love no matter what happens? There's an ending, um, the ending of a chapter in my book, which if we have one more second. Yeah, go for it. Um, is a quote from, um, you know, sort of the, a woman who was caught in one of the worst um, human violence that we know in last in in our some alive generations. She was uh, killed in Auschwitz. Um, her name is Eddie Hillsum, and she um, was a woman who a brilliant woman, and she had a chance. She had an opportunity to to escape the, um, the Nazi, um, genocide, but she couldn't, she knew if she did, she would be betraying her own people and her family. And she's like, that's, that's, that's another kind of death that I'm not willing to accept. And even this little, this little part of her book, um, escaped, uh, was able to, to get, get out of the, um, the concentration camp she was in and um it gives it gives me hope for us right now um so if you don't mind i'm just going to read her words it's eddie this is from eddie hillison from her book an interrupted life she says i have looked our destruction our miserable end straight in the eye and accepted it into my life and my love of life has not been diminished The misery here is quite terrible, and yet, late at night, when the day has slunk away into the depths behind me, I often walk with a spring in my step along the barbed wire. And then, time and again, it soars straight from my heart. I can't help it. It's just the way it is, like some elementary force, that feeling that life is glorious and magnificent, and that someday we will be building a whole new world. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's hard not to be incredibly moved by that. Yes, I um, that is that is that is beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Um, thank you, thank you for sharing that. Mm. Thank you for. Um, apparently, I needed to hear that. Yeah, thank you for entering into it with me. Every. You know, it's just, it's, it is it. It's the core of this, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
So um, where can people find out about your work, find out about your book, find out about Seminary of the Wild, all of all of those things? Where where can people connect with the, well, all the great all stuff that of, you're doing? Yeah. <laughs> there's all kinds of URLs there, but all of them are connected at victorialures.com. Okay. L-O-O-R-Z. So fantastic. And we will make sure that that is included in the show notes and people can find you and um, find your book, uh, which uh, we'll be releasing uh, officially the day after this interview is, is published. And uh, Yay. glad that it'll be out in the world as, uh, as Anna has said, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for um, your heart and your experiences and the ways that you've shared all of the, um, great insights that you have um, that you have experienced, and your mind—you you are clearly a brilliant person. And the ways that you've you've broken apart some of these some of these words to actually help <laughs> us get to the heart of them in in some real ways. Uh, Aww, appreciate that so much. So, so much. thank you for being with us. Ah, thank you, Derek. Much love to you. Thank you for listening to the Food and Faith podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest School of Divinity, Plain Song Farm, The Garden Church, and The Keep Until. Editing is by Derek Weston and music by Paul Deemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod, or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.